Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Last time I spent a little bit of time on the CVC years part three, and it kind of has become a little bit of a recurring theme throughout the oral history podcast, but some of it is about wounds. And um, I did an episode called Wounds. I did an episode about anxiety. And then last time I shared how the wheels kind of came off the bus for me uh, personally and metaphorically um, in my time at CVC. And people have resonated with that because I think we all have difficulties and we all have difficulties sharing those difficulties because we want to protect the people that may have gotten hurt in the process. We may have, we, we want to protect the innocence in all of that. There's the line from the TV show Dragnet years and years ago where they would change the names to protect the innocent. And, but there's also something cathartic. There's something just good about talking through it. It's why counseling works so well in in our world today, because sometimes you just have to talk about this stuff. You have to find somebody that's in a safe place and can listen and not really offer advice, but just let you process what it is that you've been through, the difficulties that you've been through, the the woundings that you've been through. And I've had that opportunity with a couple of different people this past week, um, just talking about the wounds in ministry that they've encountered. And I don't have a horse in the race. I don't go to church where they go to church. Um, so I can be a listening ear and I can be somebody that can offer kind, equal, level-headed advice, scriptural advice, something that's based on what the Bible says and not uh, really has anything specific to say about the people involved other than I love you and I care for you. And I don't know who those people are, but I understand where they might be coming from. And so let me offer you this advice. And so just there's counseling is just that. And and sometimes we do it because we get paid. Um, sometimes we do it because we're just friends. And so what I wanna encourage you with today, based on last the the last episode is be the person that somebody can share with because they need to sometimes just get some stuff off of their chest and be that listening ear be that kind person that can just listen and and love in the midst of whatever it is somebody's got going on well this time i want to share with you a little bit about loves and i'm going to change some of the names well i'm going to probably just use first names because i i want to share with you about all the times in my life that i've loved and sometimes i thought it was love and sometimes it really was love i specifically went to my wife just before i came to record today's podcast and i and i asked her i said is it okay that i'm going to share with everyone all the loves all the loves that came before you 
And she said, of course, that's fine. She said, I don't care because I won, meaning she ended up with me and she gets to love me forever. And that's just so my wife. She is such a, a kind, um, compassionate and quirky human being that I love her so much. But let me talk to you about all the loves in my life. The the first time, and, and, and I'm referring to people that you, you love, that you're attracted to for whatever reason, and I'm going to go all the way back to kindergarten, okay? Um, my first love was a girl named Cheryl. Cheryl was in my class in kindergarten, and she was the cute little pigtailed girl that um, kind of was kind to me, and I was kind to her. And when you're five years old, you really don't like you have girlfriends and boyfriends. I remember my daughter coming home saying she was going to marry a little man who was five years old, and obviously that didn't last. They went their separate ways when they were about seven, but um, Cheryl was my first love. She was the one that I gravitated to in kindergarten. She was my friend. We hung out together, and, and I thought, you know, in my little five-year-old brain, I thought, this is the one I'm going to end up with. Maybe not, but... You know, she moved away after kindergarten was over, and my heart was broken. But I turned my attention to somebody else. And the, the in first grade, it was a little girl named Becky, and Becky was also very quirky. She was um, she she was the first girl I ever kissed. We were getting ready to leave for uh, lunch, and for whatever reason, we were hiding out under a desk, and she leaned over and kissed me, and it was just. You know, she was somebody that I, again, thought, man, this is it. She's the one. And she moved away after first grade. I started to sense a theme here. But then in second grade, my my love was a girl named Laura. And Laura and I finished high school together. But it became obvious again that we were not going to spend the rest of our lives together when we were seven years old and in first grade together. And, and then third grade... I remember specifically falling in love with a little girl named Judy, and Judy was one that I really, at the time, at eight years old, I thought I knew what love was, <clears throat> because it was different. It was different than the, the little girls at kindergarten, first and second grade. She was somebody really special, and I still think of her as somebody really special, but I realized that what I thought was love was not love because I couldn't put myself in a position to love Judy when she went through some really difficult things in her life. We were friends until she was uh, into junior high. We weren't boyfriend and girlfriend again after third grade, but Judy had a tremendous loss of life in her family. She lost her dad when we were in fifth grade, I believe, and she was just rocked by it like this she was daddy's little girl and and she lost her dad and i couldn't see my way past my wanting to be with her even in fifth and sixth grade to see that she needed to heal and to be loved beyond anything that i could offer that only god could offer in the loss that she felt for the loss of her dad and so Fourth grade rolled around. Um, I remember specifically in fourth grade, uh, 
fourth grade for for me and my classmates was the first time that we weren't just in one room for the totality of the year. Kindergarten through first grade, you spend time, you're around other classes of kids, but you're always in your home room. Well, in fourth grade, we start to bounce around to the other three teachers in that area. We had a homeroom, but we moved around and did music class in another room with another teacher, and we did social studies in a room, another room with another teacher, and we did science, and it was just the beginning of that for me. And I remember specifically one day, about midway through the first semester, we were all sitting in class together, and this little blonde girl walks in, and every Every, the jaw of every boy in the room hit the floor. Her name was Kathy. And every boy was going, wow, she is so pretty. And they all wanted to be her friend. And I wanted to be her friend. Well, she became my girlfriend. I don't know how I was fortunate enough to have won the draw, so to speak, in fourth grade. But she was my girlfriend in fourth grade. And... uh and again, those feelings of a of a nine-year-old of maybe this is the one. And then the difficulties became evident because in fifth grade, I didn't have a girlfriend. And in sixth grade, I didn't have a girlfriend. And I won't bore you with all of the years, but it went all the way through high school that I didn't have a girlfriend. And part of it was I was so wrapped up in myself, and that's not really a good thing, but part of it was I just wasn't I, – I was the kind of kid that girls wanted to be friends with but not to be a boyfriend. And when you get into that friend zone with ki- with girls, people that are your opposite gender, people that you're attracted to, it's a hard place to live as a person because you gain trust and you have friends of the opposite sex, but – None of them really want to go the boyfriend route with you. And that's the way it was for me for for the rest of my my school career. So I was everybody's best friend, nobody's boyfriend. And, And that was, as I look back on it, that was okay. That really was okay. Um, because I... I wasn't good for any of them at that time. I wasn't good for anybody that I was around because I was really kind of... Uh, uh, self-centered little kid. And I came out of high school and I started my college career. Um, As I've told you in previous episodes, my best friend Sean and I would travel 40 miles to school every day. We We were at a commuter campus in Pueblo, Colorado. And Um, So we drove 40 miles from our hometown and we went to school at a place that we called USC, um, University of Southern Colorado. It's now called CSU Pueblo. But during that time, during that fall semester of my freshman year, I had a a family member, I believe, and a couple of people suggesting that I might want to spend time with a young girl who was in my hometown by the name of Daria. And Daria had gone to the Christian school in my community her entire schooling years, so we had never met. Um, She didn't know me as one of those kids that lived in the friend zone because she had never been around me. And so I had the opportunity to ask Daria out, and I 
launched out in what was for me at the time probably one of the biggest uh, leaps of faith I ever made. And so I asked Daria out. Now I have to explain who who Daria is because Daria is still a very dear friend of mine. Um, my best friend Sean and she are married to this day. They have uh, a son together who is now grown. They have grandchildren. Um, they are, as a couple, two of my dearest friends. And Daria is also a half-sister to my brother-in-law. And it's really strange that all through the first 18 years of our lives, we never crossed paths. Um, even even when my sister and her husband, my brother-in-law, became involved when I was 14 years old. Those four years, we just never crossed paths. Well, Daria, at the age of 18, um, agreed to go to me to a high school football game in our hometown. And that's what you do on Friday night in Florence, Colorado. You go to high school football games. And so we went, and I did my best to put my moves on this girl because I didn't know any better and I wasn't a believer at the time. And so I would do the, the on and stretch move and get my arm around her and lean over to talk to friends and get close to her and things of that nature. And we began dating and we began spending time together. But about a month and a half into it, Daria made the biggest leap of faith she could make in her young life. She confronted me one night with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had been dating for about a month and a half. We were relatively serious. We were uh, talking about the future a little bit, but at the age of 18, I'm not even sure I knew what that meant at that time. But she took the leap of faith one night when we were we had, she had been inviting me to church because she was a believer in Jesus Christ. She had surrendered her heart and her life to Christ. She grew up in a Christian home. Her mom was a fantastic discipler, um, and they loved Jesus in this family. And they were instrumental in my brother-in-law coming to faith and my sister coming to faith through that. And she took the chance because she loved me enough to say to me one night over the hood of a car after we'd been to church together that we were going separate directions and that I needed to know Christ because we couldn't continue on the path that we were on if I didn't know Christ. We couldn't continue to be boyfriend and girlfriend, nor could we ever move beyond that relationship to anything more enduring if I didn't know Christ because she felt strongly enough the bible calls it not being equal being unequally yoked basically a, a believer and a non-believer if they get married under the weight of marriage under the covenant of marriage and they don't both both don't know christ then neither is leaning fully upon christ for their relationship and they become unequally yoked it's a term that refers to um hitching up animals to a to a, a yoke on a pulling a wagon one's pulling harder than the other one is not pulling hard enough and the animals become more tired and so the same is true in a marriage if they both aren't relying upon Christ then the the marriage becomes something that 
is a challenge from the very outset. I've watched this happen. Um, I've had the privilege as a minister of Jesus Christ to per, to perform three weddings, and in fact, I'm going to perform a fourth tomorrow. Of those of those three, two are still surviving and thriving. Um, one of them is between two non-believers, and they don't know Jesus Christ. I presented them with the gospel the very first time I counseled with them, and the response of the wife was, I don't really know what to do with all of that. But I told her, I said, I will still marry you, but I desire more than the privilege of marrying you. I desire that you would both know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they did not make that decision. They have not yet. We still are friends with them and still care for them, but they have not yet made that decision. But they are still married. Um, I married a couple who were both believers, both Christians, and they're still together. And then I married a couple that I believed they were both believers. And I think they both thought they were both believers. And something happened, and I've only found out recently that they are no longer apart. And one of the one of the two walked away. Again, I'm changing names and in this case not saying names. But one of them cho- chose to walk away and go and start another relationship. And the only way somebody truly knows that they're a Christian, nobody knows that. Like, um, I fully believe and fully trust that I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ um, the night that Daria and I were having a discussion across the hood of that car. And I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. But I... Only the person knows for sure whether they've truly made that transaction with God. In reality, only God really knows that. Because some of us can even fool ourselves into believing that we're Christians. And the only way to know that is kind of in hindsight. And in the case of this third couple that I that I had the privilege of doing their wedding ceremony, it's very possible that one of them did not know Christ. And that's why it was easy to walk away. And I don't know for sure. I don't know exactly what was wrong, but as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we look back on marriages that have failed, we often look at situations where one of those two people acted like a non-believer. They chose to walk away. And and I, my heart breaks for this couple. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of reconciliation I don't know for certain. I've only heard of it recently, but I'm just, my heart aches for them that they approached the marriage covenant. They approached the the wedding ceremony knowing full well the weight of that covenant, and yet one of them chose to walk away. And it doesn't just hurt. They don't just hurt themselves and they don't just hurt their partner. They hurt everybody that was involved. And, and, and I'm wounded, and it, it's not about me, but but I'm wounded in all of that as well. So let's let me get back to Daria. Daria loved me enough to say to me one night over the hood of a car that I needed to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I did. I walked into her house, and in the presence of her and my sister, who happened to be there at the time, and Daria's mom, Daria's mom led me to Christ. She 
walked me through what it means to repent of my sins. She walked me through what it means to surrender my will and my life to Jesus Christ. She walked me through what it means to ask for forgiveness and allow Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and become my Lord and Savior. And I did that that night, and I 100% believe with all my heart that that transaction happened that night. But I didn't truly start living that life out right away. I do know that certain things were taken care of in an instant. I, I knew that Christ had entered my life. I went home and told my parents immediately what Christ had done in my life. And I noticed right away that my speech had been sanctified. That's a Christian word for meaning cleaned up by God's grace. And I just didn't have the desire to speak the way I had spoken some of all of my life, but more importantly, the four years of high school where I tended to use F-bombs every other sentence. I just, I had no desire to speak that way anymore. I had no desire to cuss. I didn't have uh, a desire to uh, be naughty. Coarse joking is what the Bible calls it. But at the same time, not everything was, was cleaned up in that time. My, my relationship with Daria deepened in those first couple month or so after we after I'd given my life to Christ and I she was part of my initial discipling um, that her mom was taking me through and she was offering help and advice and all of that but it was also evident to me that I still was a broken kind of fractured human being and wasn't truly capable of loving Daria the way she needed to be loved. And it became evident in situations where when we finally did break up, and this was after we had been engaged. Yes, I was, in, I was engaged at, at the age of 18. Um, after we were broken up, I did not react well to the breakup. I um, just was mean to her initially and then regretted being mean to her. And then she began to date my best friend, Sean, not immediately, but sometime after that. And God put me in a position to love and care for both of my friends in that. And that's when I truly began to understand what it was to love. Because Sean and Daria hit rough times in their relationship together early on. And I was there in the midst of all of this. I was friends with Sean and I was friends with Daria and I spent time with both of them independently. And I, I think back on that time and I think that maybe part of my motivation was that if I hung around Daria, it would be a situation where she might realize that she really did still love me and that we would get back together. But it really never was about that. I never pursued her in that way. I just wanted to care for both of them. And when God brought them back together, I got to be a part of that too. I, I loved them both. And I loved them in a way that was beyond it being about me. And honestly, that's what all of this comes down to. 
we use the word love rather flippantly in English, in American society in particular. Like, you'll see people on television saying, I love my new car, or I love ice cream, or I love this, I love my new insurance company. Like, it's that's not what love means. In fact, in the Greek, which is the language that the New Testament of the Bible was written in, for the most part, the word love really is one of two words. And in Greek, there were many words for love. There's a, there's a, a Greek word for love that means the, the love between a man and a woman, the erotic love, and it's where we get the word erotic, and it, the word is eros. It's never used in the Bible, but it's understood. Um, if you read the book of Solomon in the Old Testament, you'll read about the eros type of love. Um, but in the in the New Testament, there are two words that are used often for love, and in English, they both just come across the page as love, but they mean very different things. There's one called phileo, and phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia, which, as you know, is the city of brotherly love, and that's exactly what phileo means. It means uh, familial love, or um, brotherly love, or kindness toward someone that you have uh, friendship and caring feelings toward in that way. I have many friends that I tell all the time that I phileo love them. Um, men and women, I tell them I phileo love them. I love them like brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's something you'll hear me say all the time. But agape love that's the other term in Greek that's used in the New Testament, is a type of love that only God truly demonstrates. And he did so by sending his son Jesus to the cross. And that is a full-on giving of oneself for the good of somebody else. There's a, an actor by the name of Ryan Reynolds. He's also... He's never really called himself a comedian, but he really is a comedian. And I, I saw him in a clip recently that he said, I love my wife. He said, and I told my wife when we got married that I would take a bullet for you. And he said, when we had kids, he said, it became painfully obvious that where my kids are concerned, if it came down to it, he said, I would use my wife as a human shield to protect my baby. Now, everybody giggles at that because he, what he thought was agape love for his wife was diminished, at least in his eyes, when he had children. But in society today, we can agape love our, our family and our, and our children both equally well. Um, I agape my wife. And what I mean by that is I love her in a way where sometimes I don't factor into the, the equation. It's not I love her because she loves me back. It's I love her with my whole heart and I would give myself for her. I would give myself up for her. If we were in a burning building and it meant saving one of us, she would get out and I would and I would suffer the the pain of burning because I would 
give up my rights to make sure she was happy. And that's the kind of love, like I said, that Jesus did when he went to the cross of Calvary. That's the kind of love that God did when he gave Jesus his son as a sacrifice. They saw beyond their own desire, God the Father and God the Son, because they saw that they wanted to love this creation that they had made so much that they would give Jesus up as a sacrifice. And that blows my mind. And that's how I want to live my life around my wife and my daughter. I want it to be more about them than it is about me. I want to love them in that way. And as I go back to this idea of the the weddings that, that I've been a part of and the wedding that I'll be a part of even tomorrow, that's the kind of love that a marriage needs to be built upon, where my desires diminish completely in my love for someone else. I will give my everything to make certain that they are happy. And God is a God of covenantal love. In the Old Testament, God entered into a number of covenants with human beings, and he said just that. In fact, one of the covenants that they would do involved animal sacrifice at the time, which was kind of a thing then. But the covenant was such that they would take animals and they would cut them in two and lay them out. And then the idea of the covenant was the two people entering the covenant would walk between the pieces of the animal and would basically say, if I were to break this covenant, this is what I would have happened to me. I would be broken in two. That's, that's a covenant. Marriage is not a contract. It's not something where two people sign a piece of paper and it's filed legally for the purpose of saying, now, if anything ever goes wrong, we can pull this piece of paper out of this file and we can divide up your assets and we can divide up your children and we can stamp across it that the marriage is no longer valid through divorce or annulment. That's a contract. God deals in covenant, which says that nothing can make this covenant come apart. It's forever between the two of you and me. And that's why we, in Christian circles, we gather around each other in a Christian wedding and say that we all covenant together. The audience covenants to support the husband and wife through all the difficulties, through times of trial and sickness and health and good and bad. And the two partners agree to covenant together with God's help. And that's why they're equally yoked as believers or equally yoked as unbelievers to say that they're going to go through this together and that they're going to rely upon God. Even if they don't know him, they're going to rely upon him because covenant is forever and it matters and it matters to God. So, how I want to end our time together today is I just want you to think about how you love people. I want you to think, is the love that you feel like that of me as a 
kindergarten through fourth grader who just thinks of love as a concept and doesn't really understand it? Or is love something where even in my early times with with Daria was it was all about me it was what can this person do to make me better feel better think better whatever none of those or or is it about friendship is it about erotic love is the relationships that you have are, are they any of these or in the deepest of relationships, especially in the marriage relationship and, and the relationship with your children, is it truly agape love? Is it truly self-sacrificing love that you're feeling not, and that's not even the right word, that you're, that you're experiencing with your husband, your wife, and your children? Are you willing to give everything? Not like Ryan Reynolds, who would use his wife as a human shield, but are you willing to give everything for the good of someone else? Because God calls us to do that. He calls us to this picture in marriage and in our relationships with our family to give ourselves completely so that the other person can be made better. So God demonstrated that in his relationship with us and he fashioned marriage to be a picture of that and in the new testament it even calls the the picture of marriage as a picture of the relationship between christ and the church because it's about giving your life away for the good of someone else and that's what i want to ask you today is do you love in a way where it's not about you. It's entirely about the other person. And are you willing to give your life away for that person? And only you can answer that. So today as we close out, I want to pray for you as I often do. And I just want you to wrestle with that question. Am I in my marriage and in my the life of my children, am I living out agape love? Am I living for the good of the other person and not myself? So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that says God saw that he loved his children, that his creation, us, enough that he gave everything. He gave up his son to come to earth, to live the life that he lived, perfect life, to be a sacrifice for our sins. And he and Jesus took upon himself my very sin and the sin of all of us and, and suffered separation from his heavenly Father for the very first time on the cross of Calvary so that I could have a relationship with God. That's agape love, Lord. And we thank you for doing that for us. And I thank you, Father, for doing that as a demonstration of what true love is. And Lord, may that be true of me. May my life be marked by ever-increasing complete surrender of my, my desires for the benefit of my wife and my daughter. And Lord, I pray that that's, the, that's true of each person who's listening today. 
uh, within weeks of this podcast being released or months or years down the road, let that be true of, of, of us, that we truly love by giving our lives away. So, Father, I pray that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you for this time today, and we look forward to what you're going to do in all of this. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, visit our website, aural-history.com. You can listen to all the podcasts there. You can connect through a number of podcast services to subscribe. And most of all, you can email me if you have questions or concerns. So please visit that. Visit our, our Facebook page. Um, you'll see that. Like and subscribe to that. And just... Uh, if you want to become a part of our ministry, visit our Patreon account as well. You can do that through our website. And it just helps defray some of the little expenses that we have in keeping this podcast alive for forever. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time today. And keep listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.